Excited about today's live stream today in the data on Kubernetes community. We are at live stream number 108, right? And we're kind of going full circle in a way with two amazing speakers that we've had um, on different occasions with us. Very excited to dive in very deep into this topic of running Postgres on Kubernetes, leveraging it and the benefits that it's providing at an end user, a very interesting use case in Zalando. Um, our speakers are Alexander Kukushkin, who's an engineer at uh, Zalando, very, very involved in the, in the Postgres world, which is how we met Alvaro, we were just talking. Uh, they met at a conference in 2015, I believe it was in Ottawa. Um, Alvaro is no stranger to the data on Kubernetes community, having participated in various live streams, KubeCons, um, different occasions with us, uh, writing things at Ongress, always ready to help out in our Slack. Great, great community member, can't say enough positive things about him. Um, just for historical reasons, I would like to start with Alexander. You have a nickname, which is Mr. Petroni. Can you tell us about where that came from? How that happened? Well, how did it happen? Also in 2015, exactly, we started uh, building Petroni. Like it, it was based on a project named Governor, uh, like Compose Governor. And nowadays Governor is a part of uh, IBM and they still using uh, reincarnation of Governor, which called Petroni nowadays. And uh, like one uh, friend of ours, like from Postgres community, and so, like uh, his name is, um, uh, okay. <laughs> so yes. like- uh, Yes, Marcus maybe or? No, 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 no. So, uh, so Hans Jürgen. Yeah, so like he he was also very happy to see Patroni come into life, and they started like using it nearly immediately. They did a very uh, nice contributions uh, to to the project, but like the, this guy also decided to name me, me uh, as Mr. Patroni <laughs> or like the, the Patroni guy, <laughs> <laughs> and it stuck ever since. Okay, that's good, and. Yeah. Uh, if you are Mr. Petroni, uh, I don't want to go so far as to call Alvaro Mr. Postgres, but as Alvaro says, if you say the word Postgres three times, he will appear just about anywhere. Alvaro, very nice to have you with us. Like I said, have you, we've had you multiple times a day on Kubernetes community. Um, always a pleasure. Just a quick aside too, because uh, Alexander and I were talking about events. The Postgres conference in Ibiza is still going to happen in 2022. Yes, so all plans are still holding up. Uh, we'll probably make a final call on January based on obviously the health situation around the world. But so far, Spain, by the way, for those of you who are uh, international, the, the situation, COVID situation in Spain is pretty mild compared to many other locations. And on the islands, in particular in Ibiza, is much less. So it's quite a very safe place, I would say. And unless something drastic happens, there is going to be a Postgres conference in Ibiza in summer 2022, website pgibz.io. If you want to check it out, it's going to be the last days of June, first day of July. So write it down on your calendar, block it already, start planning the trip if you want to. It's going to be an amazing conference for forward thinkers in Postgres. If you want to look into the future, if you're going to think open, you're going to come up with new ideas, this is a conference to be. Very, very good. I am forward thinking. I like looking into the future. I'm obsessed with Postgres and I will most certainly be there. So don't worry about that. You got me covered. I dropped the link in the YouTube chat as usual, folks. This is going to be, an, this is, it's always an open conversation, the data on Kubernetes community. Um, today, it's going to be especially open, right? So Alexander is going to start with some slides to give us some background about, you know, how they started using Postgres on Kubernetes uh, at Zalando. We're also going to be touching on the topic of operators. 
the, these two gentlemen have interacted on various occasions, so we can this conversation can go in many, many different directions. But remember, we want to know your questions, so feel free to drop them in, in the YouTube chat. That being said, Alexander, if you want to start sharing your screen so we can take a look at your slides, and then we'll open up the conversation uh, with whatever Alvaro would like to ask you. All right. So can you see my screen? Yes. Yeah, perfect. And as I already explained, I am database engineer, work uh, at Zalanda since 2013. And like in Postgres community, people know me as the Patroni guy or uh, Mr. Patroni. And like as uh, sometimes Hans Jürgen Schoenig uh, calls me. Um, yeah, I'm very happy like to uh, build such uh, an, an important tool for Postgres high availability. And um, we do regular re releases and uh, it's uh, probably the most powerful horse that allows running Postgres on Kubernetes, uh, like easily. And Lara, could you Thank you. talk? <laughs> <laughs> so um, as, as you can see in the slide, I am the founder and CEO of a startup called Ongress. Ongress means on Postgres. So it should be pretty obvious what we do. Um, we're highly specialized and solely specialized in Postgres. That's why everything we do is Postgres. And we have a specific bias towards research and development. So we like to come up with new ideas for the Postgres ecosystem to improve it, to uh, bring new capabilities, and just not focus on the traditional capabilities that Postgres has, which are great, but also to enhance from an architectural orchestration oper operational perspective. Um, I've been using myself Postgres almost since all my professional life since I started almost in the university. I have built some projects like Stackrest right now, which is Postgres and Kubernetes. Maybe we'll have some time to mention it. You know, today we're focused more on, on the real experience of Zalando. Um, also another project called ToroDB, which is MongoDB to Postgres Live Replication. I'm an Amazon data hero and I can find on Twitter. There you have my Twitter handle. Throw any question anytime you want. Today, I'm gonna to be mostly interviewing Alexander and hopefully making some tough questions for him. <laughs> All yours. Uh, I think you have some introduction about Zalando and uh, we'll take it from there. Yeah, so like... Oh, one thing, one thing before we continue, uh, Alexander, if you could turn up your volume a little bit, just someone on YouTube, maybe uh, I was having just a little bit of difficulty, if you can. Oh, that's a tough question. Uh... When I uh, oh yeah, now it's to... better. Now it's better. It's yeah, great. yes. Unfortunately, when I uh, make it higher, like it goes back immediately. Ah, so okay. I, I, I maybe try to like speak louder. That's fine. That's okay too. Yeah. Shout so... to me. Yeah, shout... exactly. Uh, Sing to right. us. Yeah. So. Let's uh, talk a bit about the scale of Postgres that we deal with at Zalando on the daily basis. Like uh, specifically, like we will talk about Postgres on Kubernetes. So in, to in total, we have uh, like this is maybe not uh, like one hundred percent up to date uh, number, but like it's uh, about uh, one hundred thirty six Kubernetes cluster. It could be a little bit higher or a little bit smaller. Um, like 
we run uh, Kubernetes cluster for production and testing uh, separately. And usually we have uh, for every production cluster, one testing cluster. And, uh, and specifically in this case, I'm talking about clusters where we run a Postgres operator, like Zalando Postgres operator. Uh, in total, we run uh, about 200 to 2,700 Postgres clusters, uh, like all on Kubernetes. And uh, if we split them between uh, uh, production and staging, so for production, it would be around about 1,200 and uh, remaining one are for like testing staging purposes. Uh, like with staging, it's uh, it's a little bit tough to capture exact number, unfortunately, because people really uh, deploying and destroying uh, staging clusters uh, like on, on daily basis. Like you, you can see uh, clusters being created for every pull request or being open and running through CDP. And like once uh, CDP step successfully executed, uh, the cluster uh, is getting dropped. Sometimes it uh, remains running until uh, some janitor job uh, comes a little bit later, like usually about one week after and cleans things up. Um, Speaking about uh, what kind of resources do we use to run uh, those clusters? Uh, in total, we have more than 100 terabyte of uh, data. It's not about like allocated storage. It's really about uh, size that we store in, in, in those uh, 1,200 production clusters. The biggest clusters, it's a kind of quite surprising, it's more than 12 terabyte. Although I'm not really proud of this number, uh, either it should be, in my opinion, sharded, or in this specific case, uh, we, for example, can use timescale DB and uh, apply comp uh, compression to this uh, time series data. And the size will become uh, around about one terabyte. But still, uh, it's a very frequent question that people ask, uh, how big uh, data you can uh, run on Kubernetes with Postgres? And like, here's an answer, like basically you are not limited. If your hardware is, is capable of uh, um, running, uh, like, I don't know, 50 terabyte clusters, like there is no problem with it. And how much uh, re uh, resources do we request? Uh, it's about one core per cluster. Of course, it's not always uh, like just one core. Sometimes people request, uh, engineers request, uh, I don't know, dozens of cores. In some cases, they request just, uh, I don't know, 100 millicores. Like it's 10% uh, of CPU core. But we, on our Kubernetes environment, we don't have CPU quotas enforced. Uh, even if you request uh, just one millicore, in fact, you can use all available resources on this specific machine. Uh, this is uh, uh, like uh, uh, we, we came to uh, this idea by measuring latency of uh, applications. And like, it's not very specific to databases, but like to, to every kind of uh, applications. and. Uh, Without quotas, uh, latency is uh, more predictable and typically smaller, smaller than uh, when you have quotas enforced. And in terms of memory requests, it's more than uh, 4.5 terabyte of memory for, for running so many clusters. 
And it, do, it doesn't unfortunately mean that all this memory is used efficient, efficiently. Like there are cases when uh, engineers don't understand uh, about Postgres internals and they may request, I don't know, uh, 16 gigabytes of like memory for a cluster that uh, holds only like one gigabyte of data that like really waste of resources and waste of money. Uh, but unfortunately we don't have uh, like vertical after scaling capabilities. Like maybe, uh, maybe engineers really know better like about future of the uh, of their setup. Like right now, uh, it's a one gigabyte, but in some like couple of months, uh, they might, might might expect that it will grow up to one hundred gigabytes of data. I'm actually thinking uh, that I have already a lot of questions. So why don't we stay on this slide for a moment and and address look at some yeah, of sure. those? All right. So here's the first one. So um, 140 Kubernetes clusters. I would say it's a pretty large number. So it's obvious that there is there are several environments built by role, production, testing, uh, uh, staging. That's absolutely understandable. And there might be different teams, totally different applications, not, look, uh, not uh, connected to each other. But on the other hand, one of the advantages of Kubernetes is consolidation and sharing of resources. And there is ways to isolate workloads, namespaces, and, and both securities, and, and there's a lot of mechanisms. So is it that Zalando is following a more like one cluster per team, per group, per environment policy? And if so, why you're not using, why you chose this over isolation on a larger but multi-tenant Kubernetes clusters? Uh, it's more about uh, one cluster per uh, department or some uh, cost unit. Like basically, uh, it allows to have more control on uh, money spent like for a given department, for a given for a given unit. And when you have everything isolated and uh, spread across different departments, it's uh, it's much easier to control it. Uh, and another reason is um, like it's probably coming from uh, the scale that we have. Uh, some cluster, like some of our Kubernetes clusters could have literally uh, like less than 10 nodes and they're absolutely fine. Other clusters can uh, uh, sometimes could scale out uh, up to more than uh, 1000 uh, nodes. And uh, running something uh, in the cluster with like only 10 nodes and uh, 1000 different nodes, it's a, like totally different story and like with uh, ATCD and uh, like Kubernetes uh, control plane, sometimes it's a big challenge to uh, quickly scale out. Um, when people run uh, like for, for like uh, some normal workload, only, I don't know, dozen of uh, application instances and for uh, big events like Black Friday, they decide to uh, run not 10, but 1000. Application pods. It results in uh, like quick scale out of Kubernetes worker nodes and like uh, pods and so on. And uh, it's not always nice. Uh, like like Kubernetes control plane or API server not always nicely reacting to such uh, scale out. And like having uh, multiple uh, Kubernetes clusters also allows to mitigate su such problems. Uh, real quick, real quick question. Are the 2,700 clusters simultaneously active? Uh, 
yes why not so like uh out of this 2700 like it's as i told it's uh, more than 1200 production clusters uh, they have different kind of workloads some some of them like absolutely read only some some of them uh like receive connections or queries like only periodically stage stage and clusters could uh, like pretty much idle most of the time but uh, they, they all um, up and running they all highly available in case if uh, one pod fails patroni does failover uh, like all, all the things perfect thank you all right um so if I recall correctly, and, and I, I believe this is public information, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, uh, feel free to stop us if, if something cannot be shared. But uh, I think everything runs on Amazon and uh, you don't use EKS. So you run your own Kubernetes clusters. So in this case, isn't it a bit of an overhead to run this uh, large, well, I mean, you're a large org anyway, but uh, it's a, it's a, the, the benefits of, of being able to account better the usage per team. And I think I know this is a strong concept in, in Solano, you have teams and everything belongs to a team, right? So there's that responsibility. But this can also be achieved by, you know, some simple software that potentially iterates over compulsory labels that you need to enforce, right? Uh, so uh, in this case, I guess the trade-off is that it's better to still have many clusters and manage the updating of Kubernetes clusters by yourselves, even though it's a large number, versus the accountability on a per team basis. Well, so uh, what I for probably forgot to mention, uh, like all these uh, Kubernetes clusters are run running in separate uh, AWS accounts. That's okay. That's interesting. Important. Like in every AWS accounts, you have uh, like your own resource limits. Like uh, by default, like you probably know that uh, those limits are quite small, like, and uh, this is for a good reason because uh, like in case if you get in, an intruder to one account like remaining accounts uh, are not really affected because uh, like it's very isolated and uh, with lo lo default resources being very low you cannot uh, start immediately like la largest possible instance instances on, like available on aws and start mining bitcoins for example that's yet another reason. But like, after all, uh, 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 the money probably is a like, first uh, driving factor and uh, like accountability between different teams, uh, it's uh, the second one. Like uh, the one uh, department can like, could have access only to their Kubernetes cluster, like and to their AWS account and they, they are not, literally don't have access to other production uh, accounts or testing accounts. Okay. Uh, yes, like we, we really do uh, run Kubernetes on our own. Like, and uh, the, the first reason why it, it is like that, because uh, we started running Kubernetes before a, a, a EKS uh, being offered by AWS. Uh, and uh, like all this uh, Kubernetes cluster management, it's not a manual task, like it's absolutely automated, 100% uh, automated. Uh, deployment uh, and upgrade of Kubernetes happening uh, by Kubernetes uh, cluster lifecycle manager uh, tool. It uh, does everything smart and smooth. And uh, before actually something getting rolled out to production, uh, it's getting tested uh, like on 
different Kubernetes, like uh, some pl playground clusters, like Kubernetes clusters. Basically, when you get new Kubernetes release, uh, um, first the some staging cluster get, get, uh, get recreated to the same stage as production, uh, to the same state as production. And after that, like uh, the new releases is being applied on top of uh, existing cluster. And when everything goes smooth, uh, the same procedure performed on the, uh, on the test accounts and like production is the last one. And uh, of course we don't uh, deploy everything to all Kubernetes cluster clusters uh, in, in, in one go. Like we, we can split them to uh, multiple chunks and like first deploy the first chunk and see that everything goes smoothly and after that continue. Yeah, makes sense. All right, last question before we move on to the next slide. And let's just cover what is after this one. Uh, let's get a little bit more Postgres on this one. Uh, yeah. You mentioned a very interesting use case. So a 12 terabyte database, I absolutely agree with you. Postgres can handle this, this size, no problem. Even Kubernetes, no problem. We've seen that too. And, uh, and uh, potentially even more, even though at some point it definitely helps to start considering sharding, partitioning both at different levels. It depends a lot on the use case. Now- well, The specific DB is partitioned, but- like, It's partitioned already, yeah. yeah. Couldn't be otherwise. I would, I would be surprised otherwise, especially because you have a lot of Postgres expertise at home. Now, uh, you mentioned especially using uh, timescale compression. Uh, there's also an alternative uh, compressing engine for Postgres by Citus. So is this particular data uh, time series oriented and that's why timescale would be a better fit? It's just because if the first thing that you mentioned and both could fit or have you had done any study in these regards? Well, so uh, just sp speaking about the specific DB, uh, it's really a time series data and uh, like uh, engineers build, uh, build it on their own without uh, even considering using uh, some widely uh, known extensions like PG Partman. So like they even implemented partitioning from scratch. Uh, like uh, unfortunately with such a huge scale, we cannot control uh, like every deployment. We cannot con control every single application. So that's what, what we have. Uh, I just stumbled upon this specific DB because it was huge. And like I start, and I, I looked inside and uh, noticed that it's really a time series data and time scale DB is a best fit for time series. And I even tried to do an experiment uh, with applying compression. And my experiment showed that uh, it, it could be compressed down to one terabyte. Perfect, thank you. All right, let's move to the next one and we'll come up with new questions. By the way, I'm gonna keep one non-technical question possibly for the end of the topic. Everything else is gonna be mostly technical on my side. Yeah, so like with this slide, I think it's it's obvious. Uh, since we uh, on AWS, people always ask, why don't you simply use Aurora or RDS? And uh, there are always uh, good reasons not to do so. Like, f first of all, I uh, hate when there is a vendor lock. And uh, AWS and uh, like this uh, RDS offering in the beginning was well known as uh, you, you get in and uh, after that it's very hard to get out uh, because uh, physical replication wasn't allowed and logical replication in Postgres um, wasn't in, in the good shape yet. 
and uh, but right now with logical replication at least there is a way to migrate off uh, like cloud offering of like from uh, from AWS. Um, so like we, we run on Kubernetes uh, vanilla PostgreSQL like it's uh, installed from uh, PGDG uh, repository like uh, we run uh, like we build Docker images based on Ubuntu so we don't build uh, Postgres on our own like uh, compiling it is possible like if if we would like to but uh, better to use community build packages and. Uh, we rely on Postgres community support. Like uh, sometimes we report uh, bugs. Uh, we also have a couple of people who contribute a lot uh, to Postgres in terms of code. Uh, unfortunately, some of them are leaving Zalanda in the near future, but th this is life. Uh, so like in our setup, we have the real super user access. And I, I think uh, every uh, database engineer or database administrator uh, value such access a lot. Uh, it gives uh, you a lot of control uh, and a lot of uh, power, like what, what you can do. Like maybe like if you, uh, don't have some extensions already built in into the uh, Docker image uh, that we run. Like you, you cannot in, uh, install the custom extensions, but uh, since we have control on how, how we build and run uh, Docker um, like or containers, um, we could add uh, like extensions that we would love to run. And one of such extensions is exactly timescale DB. Like there is no way AWS will offer timescale DB on RDS or uh, in Aurora, like because it's uh, licensed in a way that cloud providers are not allowed to offer uh, timescale DB. Yeah, this is actually an, a very interesting topic. Let me make some comments here. Sorry, it's not a question for you. <laughs> you can rest a bit. But but basically, this is a very interesting topic for me, right? Postgres extensions. Yes, for the audience, if there is someone who's not totally familiar with this concept, let me make a quick introduction. Postgres extensions are a way to extend Postgres functionality. Uh, think of plugins for a browser, right? Something that you install easily, more or less easily, and then uh, the functionality is augmented. And this could be augmented as adding a simple function or a simple operator or or a simple uh, you know stuff to the database a data type or it could be really advanced things like even a new language for writing store procedures could be a time series database time scales and extension could be a distributed query engine uh, could be really like almost anything it is it is a very powerful mechanism so extensions end up being one of the very best things of postgres if something is not covered by core Postgres, you may likely find an extension that's doing it already. And just install the extension and you get this added functionality. Now on Kubernetes, this is an advantage versus managed services because managed services, they, uh, they want to have strict control over what is provided by the platform. So speaking of Amazon or, or RDS, they whitelist on extensions and you, you can see a, a list of extensions that are allowed and that's it. You, you cannot go outside those. So if you need or want to use an extension that is not on this allowed list, well, you're out of luck, right? However, um, on, on environments like, like a Postgres operator like Salandos or, or the one that, that we also run Stackress, there is a possibility to 
uh, be root, which is very important for us as Postgres DBAs, as well as installing any extensions. But let me slightly bring a, <laughs> do a shameless plug here, because this is a very interesting topic. Now, it's a little bit difficult how to bring an extension that is not already prepared to be packaged in the container. So what Zalando has done is very smart. It's just, you know, you can, you can more or less easily customize a container and, and add a new extension. Yet still, installing new extensions is not trivial from the user perspective. Most of them are, are only in source code forms. You need to download, compile. Sometimes they require dependencies. They require configurations. And most of the time, they don't compile out of the box because it depends on some versions. It, it, it's, a, it's not an easy user experience. So unless a provider, in this case, Zalando, is providing you with the extension you want, it's a little bit more tougher. And particularly in Kubernetes, uh, containers are immutable, right? So either you replace a container with a new container image that contains that extension, and you need to restart the cluster causing downtime, or there's no other way. Uh, so again, shameless plug here. Uh, at Stagress is also an open source project. We have developed a mechanism for dynamically loading extensions. So it allows you, it basically the container contains no extensions. Yes, only uh, two or three that are required for every operation that we do. Um, and then there's a daemon which allows you via declarative YAML as usual, say, oh, I want to load this extension. You declare this array on the YAML file and then extensions may be loaded dynamically into the container. So this is very good because it allows us to support almost any extension that is available and to load them dynamically. One of our goals is to support hundreds of extensions. There's now more than 120 supported, um, but there's, there's more down the way. If you're interested, I gave a talk at KubeCon North America a few weeks ago about this topic in particular. So I'll just uh, try to share the link right now. And uh, if you're interested, just, just go on and watch it. So yeah, extensions, back to the topic, are, are one of the reasons why you may want to be on, on Kubernetes. What else? So what else, uh, since we are talking about like benefits that we can get from Kubernetes, uh, like with Kubernetes, it's uh, one of the probably most uh, used uh, approaches to run or like manage something as the infrastructure is a code approach. Like uh, when we deploy Postgres cluster, it's li literally small YAML manifest. And, uh, and for production, uh, developers don't even apply this manifest manually. They uh, store this manifest in Git and it's getting applied via CDP. And in case if you do a change, like it um, transforms to a pull request and Again, it's uh, once getting merged, it's, it's applied by, uh, by CDP. And uh, in my opinion, it's uh, one of the best advantages that Kubernetes can provide. Uh, like last but not least, uh, since uh, we have all controls on what we run and how, how we run, uh, we can provide a very close integration of our, uh, like, of our Postgres uh, as a service platform with uh, rest of application that uh, runs on Kubernetes and like remaining infrastructure. For example, uh, identity and access management topic is very important. And uh, when employee, like uh, developers create a cluster, uh, they also sometimes want to have uh, access uh, to the cluster with their own user. But like we don't uh, create a, like we create only a, a database user for the employee, but we don't uh, create credentials, like for example, a password. And uh, 
uh, developer or employee when uh, accessing the Postgres cluster, it, uh, uh, they're using uh, uh, tokens instead of password for authentication. And like those are the same token tokens that are used for authenticating uh, on remaining of uh, in our infrastructure. Like whatever you resource you open in the browser, like you can use the same token in order to authenticate in the, in the database. And like in order, but in order to get this token, we like uh, I am team can enforce all. Uh, all uh, the things like uh, to, uh, second factor, for example, and so on. Uh, since like we don't have to deal with passwords for employee access, and uh, once employee, for example, depart in the company, uh, their ex uh, access is getting locked, and in the, and tokens more or less automatically become invalid. So we like really solve a lot of problems with it. And uh, the last one, uh, observability. Um, once database deployed, it's automatically getting plugged to all monitoring systems. Uh, in case of like, for example, Patroni fails or there is AWS outage, we uh, as a database team uh, like get uh, paged in case if not, not, not primary is not running on a given cluster. Uh, but that's not the only use case. Like uh, we also monitor all kind of uh, performance metrics in the Postgres, and uh, like it's getting plugged to all these monitoring systems out of the box, just uh, because like it is so easy to discover new resources. So yeah, uh, like ha, ha, uh, like. Before we started actually uh, run databases and Postgres on Kubernetes, uh, we, we uh, did a long way, a long journey. Like we, uh, we were running in the data center on the bare metal uh, Postgres since uh, 10 years already. And um, even back then, like nine years ago uh, or so, uh, we have been using containers. Like it's Docker didn't exist yet, but uh, I, I think everybody knows about LXC container. And uh, it's uh, it's a pity that um, many uh, engineers still think that uh, containers are black, black magic and they, that they uh, produce very high performance impact and uh, they stay away from containers, but the same, probably these people don't even know that uh, like if you run modern uh, Linux uh, system like with system D and C groups, you already sort of uh, using containers implicitly. <laughs> That's uh, like containers, it's just a C group in fact. That's it. And like running uh, application on your laptop uh, and running application in the Docker container uh, is ba basically the same. <laughs> uh, and as I already told, uh, infrastructure as a service and GitOps, when you do everything like with pull requests, when you uh, can uh, apply for ice principle to every change that you do on production is uh, like very important. And uh, it's uh, one of uh, 
key components of uh, our of our like Postgres as a service. Uh, but uh, developers uh, like that ca uh, came to Kubernetes uh, from uh, bare metal, let's say, uh, expect from databases something uh, like the same behavior uh, that was before. And um, in uh, data center with uh, on-premises, on uh, like hardware, you don't have so many uh, like disruptions. You don't have so many hardware failures. But on like on Kubernetes, uh, when you uh, apply new Kubernetes major release, you have to uh, not, not even major release. Like even with minor releases, you have to rotate all worker nodes, and it results in uh, database uh, failover or database switchover. Like switchovers are more often happening. But like uh, those are expected, and uh, application need to uh, know how to handle uh, such uh, situations. Like when switchover happening, all uh, connection, all connections to from the application to the database are getting interrupted, and they have to reconnect. They have to uh, perform uh, the same like query like uh, once again maybe like uh, they, they need to Im implement retry mechanism and uh, prefer preferably with uh, uh, with backup right yeah with exponential backup exponential backup yeah yeah there's there's a famous quote uh by uh, if, I, if i'm not mistaken by Werner Beggles from amazon who said in the cloud but in general in everywhere everything fails all the time meaning that you really need to be prepared for failure. The cloud and, and this dynamic environments, Kubernetes, no exception, they are designed not to be 100% reliable, but rather to allow you to cope with failure. So you really need to be prepared for failure and, and be ready for it. There's, there's actually specifically a Postgres, to be honest, from an application developer's perspective, it's not trivial. Um, First of all, from the connection perspective, so what do you do? Let me digress here a little bit, but what do you do with, with a, when a connection fails? Um, well, you get an exception on your application or whatever return value, depending on your language, but essentially you're saying connection has been dropped, the socket has been closed, whatever, and um, you need to restart, uh, retry again. And you cannot retry continuously because you're gonna overload whatever is gonna be on the way. Uh, so you do need to do, or you should be doing exponential backup as uh, Alexander was saying right now. But still, you don't know if your previous query finalized completely or not. So you have two things to do here. One is to either do all the time idempotent queries that you can run more than one time without changing the state of the database. That's hard. <laughs> and that's not how mo most people work with. But I mean, that's just one option. It might be applicable in some use cases, make things simpler. The other alternative is that there is a function in Postgres that allows you to query the state of a previous transaction, but you need to capture the transaction ID first. So um, it's also not, not an easy life. But anyway, there's something to take into account. Let me link this with, uh, there's a couple of questions I, I've been watching on the, on the YouTube channel. Uh, one of them is, is somehow related to this. So let me start with that one. Uh, and uh, are you using connection puller or PG bouncer in particular in your setup? And if so, where is it? staying uh, because it also can help with the reconnection problems. Well, so 
in our case, most of applications are using like GVM stack and they rely on client-side uh, connection pullers, uh, like something what are, is well known in the community and, tr and trusted. Like uh, one of them is Bon CP, I think, another one is Hihari CP. And uh, this is what most of applications are using. And like uh, in, in many cases, uh, there are like very limited number of application instances and uh, they in total don't open more than, I don't know, like 100 or a couple of hundred connections to Postgres. And uh, like this is kind of absolutely fine. There are unfortunately also extreme cases when uh, like uh, there must be uh, hundreds of application instances running. And this, in this case, we really use a PG Bouncer in front of Postgres because uh, scaling to a few thousands of connections, uh, like there is no good story uh, like, in, like in, in, in the core Postgres for, for, the, for such no. situation. There is, there isn't. Here, let me also explain a little bit our, our philosophy. Um, in in Stackdress, uh, what we do is we always include a sidecar with PG Bouncer. You can you can disable it if you don't want to have it, uh, but by default it's built in. Because as as you have said, uh, in Postgres, if you try to overload with a lot of connections, it doesn't behave. I mean, it will still be there. Postgres not, is not gonna go down. Uh, but performance may be really abysmal. So um, either you really control the number of connections that go to the database, and I'm sure that at Zalando, you, you at least have more control best practices because you still are a single company. But uh, we, our consideration is that we have seen with many customers of our professional services that a lot of people try to really overload the database with the connections. And, in this, uh, and this is the reason why we always consider setting up a PG bouncer just in front of Postgres. So it runs as a sidecar, connects via uh, Unix domain sockets for maximum efficiency, but it's always fronting Postgres unless you disable it. That doesn't mean that you cannot set up even middleware, what we call middleware PG bouncers, like the, uh, deployed as a deployment, Kubernetes deployment. Uh, fronted by a service, so that it also acts as a middleware between your application and uh, and this connection puller layer. So it, it really depends on on your use case and the expected uh, users that will be using Postgres. But uh, summary is yes, this is a not solved problem. There's been some improvements in Postgres 14 in terms of uh, keeping good performance with a higher number of connections, but still it's not problem solved. There's a significant memory consumption. It's not solved at all. So yeah, keep the number of connections hit in the database low. If possible, uh, use a connection pool. Very quick question, by the way. I think I know the answer, but I'll leave it to you. When you mean Postgres cluster, you mean a set of machines running replication with a single primary, not a instance where you have multiple databases inside, because that's the that's the Postgres definition oh, of cluster. Yeah, I mean, you mean the engineering definition, right? Like Postgres terminology is hard. Like when I uh, say <laughs> cluster, it could mean both uh, like the cluster uh, that contains multiple databases inside and the cluster that uh, like involves uh, like multiple replicas and repl streaming replication between uh, the primary and uh, replicas. Okay, okay, that's what I thought. Like uh, uh, in, in our case, actually, uh, pretty much uh, all the time there is just a single database in the cluster. Like uh, okay. it's extremely easy to deploy a new cluster only on Kubernetes with operator and Patroni and uh, yeah. so on. And uh, 
you, you, you just don't need so many databases in a single cluster. And like if automatically you solve all these problems, uh, like questioning, oh, like we have binary backups with continuous archiving. How can we restore a single database uh, from the cluster? Yep. So you just have you one, can. so you don't have yeah. this problem. Okay. Um, so by the way, a more, a more generic question. Like other than uh, Patroni, obviously, and the operator, Patroni is built into the operator, to Zalando's operator. We also use Patroni. Fantastic tool, Mr. Patroni. Now, um, what other things uh, were needed to fully switch to Kubernetes? Even though you were running already in containers, so, but what else was needed? What challenges, what tools, what what was required to switch to fully switch to Kubernetes? Well, so first of all, I think uh, like we need to change like the my mindset totally. Uh, like we are not in the data center anymore. Like things uh, evolving, things are changing, and uh, you like you have to experience experience different problems. Um, like some new problems, uh, things could fail on different, uh, like uh, on, on new uh, layers, let's say. Uh, <clears throat> people like a very hard and changing their mindsets. And like what, what we observed, uh, like a few times that people uh, try to still do everything manually, even on Kubernetes, although all the, uh, all, like all, all the uh, processes, like we, we have, uh, like all, and all good, good practices we are trying to inform. Uh, like once we've seen uh, the old school DBA lo lo locked into our Postgres database, like Postgres clusters, locked like uh, exact into the uh, container and created a swap because uh, like uh, Postgres was killed by uh, out of memory due to like no, no, not not enough memory being being requested. <laughs> like we, we yeah. have seen yeah. that people by mistake delete like or not or intentionally start deleting Kubernetes objects uh, like that are necessary to run. Uh, clusters uh, guys i'm very sorry i need to plug my laptop to uh to the net to, to power. that's okay that's okay that's so fine I, i'll be back in one second no that's problem okay. i now now we actually get a chance to improvise because i i this is something that i use from alvaro that uh, we talked about a long time ago well a long time ago it was this year but it was some months ago favorite Kubernetes feature is still CRD, you would say? It's still. Do you, it's still. Do, now, here's the here's a little test. Do you think that Alexander would agree? Or what would you imagine his second favorite feature might be? Uh, let, let me stay with the first part. I, I don't that's, know what's going to be. That's fair. Yeah, that's <laughs> I, I'm not sure what's going to be his favorite, but um, let me explain why uh, CRDs are my favorite one. So, uh, and I see because the approach we have taken in Stigress is, is CRD heavy and not so much in Zalando. So it might not be, but maybe you'll still agree with me. So anyway, why I love CRDs so much? CRDs, so Kubernetes is all about express your architecture, right? Your deployment in a declarative way. So you, you 
you specify the intent, what I want to have. You don't say how it's going to happen, which node is going to run. So that, that's how you stop caring about the nodes and all these things, right? The pets, pets versus kettle, blah, blah, blah. Now, the question is, if everything is declarative, then you can make it very high level. And very high level means less friction for the user, more functionality behind the scenes. So the idea of operators is to encode domain-specific knowledge. In this case, Postgres, talking about Postgres, encode into the operator's business logic itself and free the user from having to be an expert in this subject matter. So one of our focuses in Stackers is to make Postgres deployment so easy that anyone without Postgres experience can do it. And, and normally, even to operate, like day two operations, you still require Postgres expertise. We're trying to get rid of all this so that anyone could deploy and operate production quality Postgres clusters. How you do this? Essentially with CRDs, because the CRDs is a way to extend Kubernetes API in the same declarative way. And then CRDs, you can still make them like tightly coupled or, or, or very transparent to what you're uh, uh, trying to do, or try to make them like very high level. And if you craft, craft CRDs that are very high level, that you know uh, hide away all the implementation details of how things works behind the scenes and just offer users a very simple to use API, that becomes the user API. That becomes the user input. And that's, in my opinion, the best feature of Kubernetes because it allows uh, to create this easiness of use for users. Some people say Kubernetes is very complex. And I mean, understanding Kubernetes may become very complex because it's, it's, it's very big. There's a lot of features and, and built-in objects there. But if you just consume Kubernetes and just use the APIs, being the APIs a pod, uh, yes, pod can also get complex, but you can also write a pod in six lines of channel and, and deploy an Nginx or whatever, right? And if you can do the same with Postgres uh, to deploy, deploy a Postgres cluster or to, the, or, or to run a PG repack, which is a, an operation on Postgres that requires some, some level of understanding. If you can deploy with a six lines of JAML file, this is really high value. And if you compare to other alternatives, sometimes Postgres is compared with like, for example, Nomad from HashiCorp, the big mixing point of in Nomad, for example, are CRDs. So uh, for me, it's a real key differentiating factor, and that's why it's my favorite Kubernetes feature. What do you think, Alexander? I'm, uh, yeah, I muted, but the, Alexander, I took advantage when you were getting your computer charger to ask Oliver a conversation we've had before. Yeah, do you yeah, agree? Yeah. Is I, that I, your? I've been following. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you have Bluetooth headphones. Good job. So, yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I totally agree. Like CRD is uh, like one of the most. Uh, interesting and important features like uh, because like having an environment that you cannot extend uh, and like having something what is very extensible like Postgres like uh, two different stories and like being extensible uh, extensible it's very important like from, from, from all kind of perspective like if you're missing some feature you can easily build one very, very good. Like it. Good stuff. I'm asking the audience as well too on YouTube to see what they might have to say. So anyway, that'll be interesting. Uh, guys, continue. Go for it. All right. I see one question in the chat window that we might want to address. Uh, but let's go fast on this one because I would like to keep a couple of questions for the very end uh, for you. Uh, so let's go with this question. So how do we handle out of memory in Kubernetes? I'm going to ask this in 10 seconds and pass it to you. Well, pretty much the same way you do without Kubernetes. So uh, this may happen. Uh, there's, there's 
there's potentially no ways to control it because if you allow too many connections and each connection uses a lot of memory, you maybe have a situation of memory stress, which can lead to OOM. Um, in Kubernetes, this may happen earlier because of the limits, but uh, still the same problem. They, uh, there are some tools and some answers, but Alexander, what's your take on this? So like with out of memory, uh, there are two kinds of things that we observed, like one is one is obvious, like when you uh, allocate uh, like too few resources, like memory resources, and uh, it's getting killed apparently. Although we uh, trying to apply sort of smart configuration, set uh, shared buffers, uh, size of shared buffers to 20% of like all allocated memory, like for the pod, for the container. Uh, but it seems to be not enough, like because uh, Postgres itself needs uh, some memory, like uh, con Postgres connections requires some memory, Patroni, like again, needs some memory, like your favorite backup tool, like we use Wally or Wolgy, like uh, if somebody uses uh, Backrest, like, like they all use memory. Uh, but one thing that was not very obvious to find, it's uh, amount of dirty buffers like that it's not possible to limit per container. And by default uh, on Linux systems, uh, dirty buffers uh, on the machine are allowed to grow to some incredible uh, sizes. Uh, like, and they, by default, they configure to, I, I think 10 or 20%, like there, there is a dirty buffers and background dirty buffers and they configure it to 10 and 20% of available memory on the machine. And like, if you have a machine with 32 gigabytes of memory and you have a container with just one gigabyte, which is perfectly fine for your small DB, but your small DB could generate a lot of write activity. And if your disk storage like system, like subsystem, like in case of AWS, uh, it, it would be EBS cannot keep up with uh, your like uh, your rate of writes. Uh, it results in accumulating a lot of dirty buffers. And at some moment, uh, the amount of dirty buffers become so high that they really approach the your gigabyte of uh, allocated memory. And you cannot really control uh, from inside the container this value. Yeah, there's uh, there, there are some challenges and some some differences. Yeah, so like uh, like it took us really months to investigate this issue, and uh, like and after all, we just set it on the node level. All right, so we want to limit amount of dirty buffers by uh, like one hundred twenty eight megabytes, just on on the node level. And that's it. And like all our problems magically disappeared, uh, like re related to this dirty buffers. And like these problems manifested them themselves, not only by out of memory being triggered, but uh, like once uh, dirty buffers getting higher and higher, like uh, Linux kernel starts uh, paging off normal processes like including Postgres, including Patroni and Patroni that does not have resources to run. And like the next time when it needs to uh, uh, do the like health, Postgres health check and uh, update leader key uh, like in Kubernetes API, it simply uh, needs to uh, bring its memory back from the disk and uh, uh, 
basically it means that Patroni wasn't able to, to run every 10 seconds as it's supposed to, but like uh, it could take up to two minutes to get, get it back. And it was hard to investigate. <laughs> yeah, and there's all the issues. There's also Postgres uses a lot of shared memories, how it operates. So you also need to bump the shared memory uh, segments that you are allowed to, to book in a, on a container by default. There's, there's a lot of things to do there. All right. Um, I don't want to go more than the allotted time that we have. I still have two questions for you. So let's make it two minutes per question. Uh, the first one is a technical question, and the last one is maybe not that much technical. So anyway, what is the future? What would you like to have, or what you're planning to do, or what you wish? What is a you know your uh, ask to Santa or Three Kings, whatever you uh, believe in, that you would like to see on Postgres operators, being it Zalando or others? So what do you want to see? What do you think the future is? Well, so. It's not a very specific about like Postgres operator or about Patroni. Like it's more questions about uh, what Postgres offers to us to build such kind of automations. For example, right now, uh, when like uh, replica cannot uh, like when when uh, the write ahead log file is missing on the primary and replica trying to stream and like this file is missing, like there is no good feedback mechanism. There is no API to uh, to discover the situation. Like the, the only we can do, like look into Postgres logs. And like, if we talk about distributed systems, uh, it probably means that logs are getting written to standard uh, error and like immediately sent to some log system. And like, you, you cannot, uh, always access to like this login system and you cannot uh, figure out what is wrong and uh, it really stops us from the next uh, like uh, from better automation of everything like if we can detect such situation we probably can reinitialize such stale replica but right now it like stays forever and we, we get tons of questions like because of that and uh, like we, we can continue like there are plenty of things like in postgres that could be improved to uh, run better on uh, cloud like environments for example plenty of uh, postgres parameters uh, require restart to like to be applied uh, like you cannot for example extend shared memory or increase max connections like without restart and yeah, those two. All right, very last question. This one, not so much technical. Um, so it's a bit of a joke. So what is Salando doing building a Postgres operator and a Postgres high availability solution? Because as far as you know, as I know, you're an e-commerce. So uh, again, kidding a little bit because you have, I know a lot of people at Salando is a fantastic uh, tech team. But what are you doing so heavily invested in Postgres and what is the future? Are you planning to continue doing this? Well, so since uh, we run a lot of Postgres workload and uh, so far it's well, it was very, very successful with Kubernetes. Uh, yes, we continue doing so. And like uh, we even sometimes build the features that we need in Postgres uh, that apparently missing and contributed back um, we, we also uh, have uh, not, not uh, well, so like there, there is a thing uh, that we trying to push back to the core, core Postgres, but uh, like we run it internally. Uh, for example, like enhanced PG stat statements that 
like uh, can uh, combine multiple uh, in uh, values into like something that is small. Uh, yeah. Yes. So like uh, like if we run something like where we have uh, like full control, uh, we can get way more out of this environment. And like one of the recent features that was added to Patroni, it's a uh, failover of logical slots. And like if people decide uh, like rely on change data capture and logical decoding, it's very essential uh, because after failover, like you want to uh, continue replication, not from, from some later position, but like from the same or maybe a bit earlier, like in order not to lose events. And Patroni like allows us to do so. Like, and we, we like I really uh, continue to improve in Patroni, like uh, maybe implementing some new features uh, and uh, or uh, or at least uh, fixing some bugs that are being reported by community. Yeah, this this one is really good feature to be able to. To continue streaming from a from a logical replication slot. Thank you, thank you for all the work you're doing with with Petroni and Salando for for all the work that's doing in the open source part of it. So, I think this is it from my side. Of course, I have my brain boiling of new ideas on questions, but I think that's going to be it for today. I think we can call it a day. But Bart, it's on you. Yeah, uh, absolutely fantastic. I think we all got what we were looking for a great conversation between. Two very wonderful people who know a lot about Postgres and are always helping other folks kind of push the limits and take things further. I think the, the, the results are clear that if you have doubts or interest in this, you definitely need to continue the conversation with Alvaro, with Alexander, with both of them. You can do so in our Slack. Um, Alexander, can I get you to stop sharing your screen really quickly? Yeah, sure. Very, very good. Um, as usual, folks, we have more live streams coming up. You can always find out about that on meetup.com. Um, but what I want to do right now is I want to share my screen, um, make sure that I've got everything lined up. While the two of you were talking, as usual, we have our fantastic artist, Angel, who's lurking in the shadows. Um, I'm sure you can see what he did now. Um, very, very nice drawing of the two of you. Artistic depiction of some of the things that were talked about. Really, really practical stuff here. Very helpful for the folks out there that are curious about this, um, that want to take it further. That's why we have these conversations so that running data on Kubernetes isn't so scary. We also put the link to Alvaro's talk from uh, KubeCon about Kubernetes extensions. Definitely check that out too. Um, as always, we're very easy to find Twitter, Slack, LinkedIn. We love continuing the conversation. So if you have any questions or doubts, feel free to drop them in there. Um, thanks to both of you very much. On Thursday this week, we also have a, a Postgres talk with uh, Gabriel from EDB. Um, so he'll be talking about Postgres as well on Thursday. So if you have deeper interests that you would like to continue there, he'll be doing the second part. They did a part one in KubeCon, so he's gonna complete that on Thursday. Um, that being said, thanks to everyone. We'll stay in touch. Thank you very much, Alvaro and Alexander. Always awesome drawing, I love it, as yes. usual. Yes, good.